0: So God, thank you that you are right here in this room with us. Thank you for the worship that's been happening and for the way that you are drawing us into yourself, into your kingdom. Lord, as we've been studying these practices, these spiritual practices that are really uh, ways of opening up our relationship with you, I sense that you are at work in them. Lord, that you are at work in this room and that you would desire that we would draw near to you. So Speak to our hearts, Lord. Comfort our hearts. Give courage to our hearts that we might see you and know you and love you for who you really are. Uh, Lord, uh, forgive our misconceptions and peel those off, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as I walked in and you all were worshiping, and I'd come from another service, I just had this sense of the Spirit at work. And an insight that had come to me as I was preaching at the first service was. That this practice of confession is one that we don't like. We don't like to talk about it. We don't like to be guilty. We don't like to confess. We don't necessarily trust that others will forgiveness, forgive us. Maybe God will forgive, but will other people forgive us? And that really the church, has, the church, the big church, not just our church, but the whole church has kind of developed a reputation, if you will, of being judgmental. Isn't that the case? That if you're talking to someone and you say, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, what people hear is, oh, you live by some rules. Like maybe the Ten Commandments or you probably are judgmental of me because there's already something, i got a piercing where I shouldn't or a tattoo or i got something going on that you, if you're a church person, you're probably not going to like what I do on Saturday nights or whatever. That's the reputation of the church. Jesus was trying to correct that. The person of Jesus is saying, no, it's not about keeping laws. And Jesus is teaching all these new ideas that his followers are having a hard time getting a hold of. So why did he teach this particular parable? You know, when uh, a teaching technique that Jesus loved and used a lot was not just direct, like this is the way it is, but he would tell a story. Like you'd make a point, and then he would tell a story. And in this the story that we read today, he's making quite a point about who God is, who people are, and who we're called to be. So when I was thinking about this sermon, the first thing that came to my mind was not the glorious moments of confession that we have together, though we often confess together, and we often confess on Sundays together in worship. I thought about this artist, Frank Warren, who got this idea that people out in our culture carry burdens, things that they, don't, they haven't been able to confess or tell anyone, like secrets that are festering in their hearts. And he created this opportunity for people to uh, uh, make a postcard, like a handmade, artistically done postcard with their confession on it. And he told his dad about this idea, and I was like, what, who's going to do that? Why would people send you their postcards? And he said, Dad, come see. There are so many postcards that he received. He not only made a book; he now has there's a museum exhibit and there's a blog. So I wanted to show you a few of these postcards. Every culture has had a topic that's forbidden. In the Victorian era, it was sex. Not so much a problem in our culture. We can talk about that. But how about sin? Can we talk about the fact that we've fallen short? That we're wrong? That we've gone down a pathway that led us where we didn't want to go? I think that's the invitation of confession. To be a church that says, has the humility to say, here's who we really are, and to know that God receives us just that way. So here's my little pop quiz. Now I'm back to how I was, the order of my sermon, I'll have to make sense with the PowerPoint people, we're going back to the beginning. So, how many of you flossed this morning? Just wondering. Go ahead, raise your hand. Okay, last night, did you floss last night? Okay, good. Good. How many of you, when you go to the dentist and you're asked the question, do you floss regularly? You you say yes. Okay, let's see that. Okay, why do we do that? If you don't floss regularly, but you go to the dentist and you tell the dentist, I floss regularly, what is that about? You know, it's not in your best interest because you know the dentist is gonna get in there and find out. Like your gums are bleeding when they floss, that means you didn't floss. Uh, You've got problems in your teeth. Probably even if you say I flossed, it shows that you did not floss. If you do not floss, it's better for the dentist, isn't it? He's got more, she has more business, more dental work that needs to be done. You know, so if you don't floss, like, go ahead. Tell the dentist, I don't floss. I want to see you regularly. (laughs) But why do we have this idea that we want to make ourselves look better than we really are? isn't that what we do? I do it. Okay, see, I skipped some sermon points now. Okay, I do that. Why do I do that? I guess because I'm like the Pharisee. See, the Pharisee says, God, uh," what does he say? He says, I fast twice. I know what he says, it's just this script and the PowerPoint thing that messes me up. So if the PowerPoint slides don't go with what I say, it, don't worry, it's all in here, it's, it's all good. So the Pharisee says, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. He, Jesus creates this character who not only does what's required of the law, which was fasting just once a year, but this guy's saying, hey, I fast twice a week. Check it out. And I give a tenth of all I get. Not just my uh, income, but everything I purchase, I give a tenth of. I mean, that's wild. But isn't that our profile too? We want to do a little better than even what's required. God only asks us to be kind of in the, pr- in the process of practicing, but instead we want to kind of prove that, that we're we're good enough. We're like God should look at us, kind of take a second look. And I think all of us do things that we're proud of. Like, I refrain from driving in the carpool lane when I'm not a carpool. That's pretty good, huh? Okay, we don't get merit badges just for doing the ordinary right things. But we want God to notice us. We want to go above and beyond, succeed at work, at school, at home. We want to put our best foot forward. At least I do this. I shop at the farmer's market. I shop locally, feed my family organic beef. I even pretend I like kale and broccoli. <laughs> our church wants to do good and look good. But, and we sponsor that farmer's market here every Thursday. And I want to give them a plug because it's been raining. And now on sunny Thursdays, you need to get to the farmer's market. We're tempted to brag to God about all our accomplishments and bargain for God's gold stars. The Pharisee tells God that he's basically an honorable person and he's waiting for that celestial moment when he'll join God at the board of directors in heaven. (laughs) But the tax collector, the tax collector standing at a distance. He doesn't even look up to heaven, but he beats his breast and says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner he doesn't even go into all that he's done wrong he just says God have mercy and Jesus says he turns Jesus turns things upside down he says I tell you that this man this man who simply trusts God for mercy he's the one who will be exalted for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted The tax collector, the one that society shunned and repeatedly told him, you're not good enough, you're not on the God team, the people you hang around with are awful, he's not getting any gold stars. He feels so vulnerable, so ashamed of what he does for a living and of even who he is. He can't even go into the temple or toward the temple. He stands at a distance. His view of God, though, is so big and so powerful and so right that god is a god of mercy that god is a god who can be trusted with with just who we are even if society even if everyone you know says no god says yes i love you i want to be in relationship with you whereas the pharisee is saying hey Uh, Not only do I do all these things, and God, you should be impressed, but I'm not like that guy. And I think that's where the Pharisee really gets in trouble. He compares himself to the other. He makes this list of all the great work he's done and says, so pick me. And maybe it's just that I'm the mother of a high school senior who's recently gone through the college application process, but it sounds to me like the Pharisee is saying, I took seven advanced placement classes. And I had a 4.0 GPA in a school that's actually really tough, so that counts as a 4.3 GPA. I was captain of the math, soccer, and debate teams. Uh, I cleared the entire I-90 corridor of trash weekly. (laughs) I sponsored six orphans. Those other applicants, they just watch TV. I'm better than the rest of them. That's where we get into trouble. The pharisee sees himself in God's inner circle. He not only lifts himself up, but he does so by putting others down. In trying to de- what have I done? In trying to demonstrate that he is he is not a sinner, that the real sinner is over there hiding the Pharisee distances himself from God and from other people. The truth is, there are no Ivy League Christians. God just wants our hearts. The acceptance letter comes to those who confess that they're not worthy. When we confess our sin, the gateway to heaven opens up. The connection to God is strengthened. We're we're all children of God. We don't have to be eloquent or try out for valedictorian or even have tried a single spiritual practice this summer. Jesus is inviting us, all his followers, to be like the tax collector who comes forward and says simply, God have mercy on me, a sinner. It's pride versus humility, and God is on the side of the humble. It's like the mercy rule. Have you ever heard of this? In, in my house, sometimes my son and my husband like to wrestle. And these dynamics have been changing over the years. I won't tell you who's winning now, but you should know that my son is 15 and they weigh about the same. <laughs> if at any one point, either the dad or the son uh, becomes clearly at an advantage, the other one can tap out. You've heard of this? It's, it's the mercy rule. It's like, tap, tap, I give, you win. I need mercy. Lord, I need mercy. I need your mercy. God is a God of mercy, not competition for favor. God wants to meet us where we are. God hears us when we ask for mercy. What about you? You need a mercy tap? The answer would be yes. yes. It's an easier question than got sin to which the answer would also be, yes. Sin is anything that separates us from God. And it's also the crack in the cement of our lives, that broken place into which God's love can fall most deeply. Scott Dudley's on vacation, so I couldn't ask him to talk to one of the many friends he seems to have who tell him stories for his sermons. I couldn't ask his friends about sin, so I had to go find some sinners myself. So I've been walking around the hallways at church where I work and at the gym where I work out, asking folks about their experiences with sin and confession. Quite a way to make friends, isn't it? I've heard stories of sin and forgiveness, of redemption, of confession, of things that have not yet been confessed. And several people... Mentioned to me this dynamic that, candy sin isn't something we talk about. Sin is a forbidden topic. But it is real, and the broken relationships it causes have an impact just uh, beyond just one individual and God. It goes beyond just each of us and God. Sin redirects our path. It destroys trust. You might say it's a friend of the devil. It bends and misshapes our lives. I've heard some great thoughts from folks on sin, such as a young adult who said, the way I think of sin is that whenever I sin, I've actually worked against God's kingdom. And from one of our male pastors, you know males are said to use fewer words than women. He thought I should just simply entitle this sermon and maybe just simply stand up and say, oops, Something I've experienced often as a pastor is people who come into my office with a weighty burden. And part of the weight of the burden is thinking they're the only one. They're the only one who has something to hide, who has a part of their life that's broken, something that's festering. And it may look like that on the outside. It may look, when we come to church on Sundays, like everyone else's marriage is perfect. Or everyone else is married. Or no one else has problems with addiction. Or no one else's family is as messed up as mine. Well, friends, look down the row. Go ahead. Look to your left. Look to your right. Now wave to your neighbor and say, hey, sinner. (laughs) Because folks like the woman who told me this story are sitting with you in worship somewhere today. She told me that right before her 10th anniversary, she had an affair. And it was admitting that sin that redeemed my marriage, she said. It was hard, but as we now celebrate over two decades of marriage, I can see how God has brought redemption not just to me and my husband, but to many people as I'm able to share my story. Friends, what if that was the church? What if we were the people who talked about how the broken places can be redeemed because of who God is? Being caught romantically involved with someone other than her husband is not something that one would usually be commended to God for. But the willingness to admit that it was wrong, that she was guilty, allowed Jesus in, and allowed the kingdom to be revealed here on earth. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who labor and are burdened, come to me. And he opened up a way of forgiveness and restoration that has shaped and strengthened that marriage, but many, many other healings as well. Her husband and community is doing exactly what Ephesians 4.32 says to do, be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. As I was preparing for this sermon, our Interim Children's and Family Ministries director said to me, Kendi, you need to talk to parents about the fact that their kids need to know what they should do when they do something wrong. Because there's a way that we're even creating this dynamic in our parenting, that we expect our kids to be perfect, and when they're not, they don't know what to do about it. So today, they're coming home with some things that they might confess every day. Maybe they've lied. Maybe they've uh, had the kind of attitude or used the kind of words that you don't think should be used. They've dishonored their parents. So work with them on it. Teach them what to do when they do something wrong. Don't expect the perfection that comes only with God. So this is confession. When we say to Jesus, Here I am. This is me. The practice of confessing is owning our neediness for God and because of Jesus receiving forgiveness. In the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, there are several steps that one could say really are confession. One is admitting to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. We need to say to the Lord, we need you. We need the mercy of God. We're called to a practice of confession for this very reason because we need it and God welcomes it. So, how do we live in the kingdom right here, right now? Not like the Pharisee saying, Hey, someday I'm going to be up there with you, Jesus, because I deserve it, but rather like the tax collector saying, Lord, have mercy. Be with me now. In James 5.16, we are called to confess. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Let others know you, know that you need forgiveness. So these spiritual practices that we've been studying, including confession, what's the point? Not that we build ourselves up, but that we open up and deepen our relationship with Jesus. That Jesus becomes more real, more present to us because of these ways that we invite him in. So I don't know what it might be for you. Maybe you've got a secret that you've kept hidden for a long time and it would be best to put that on a postcard. Just start with that. Send the postcard to church. That would be great. Maybe after you write that postcard, you realize there's someone I want to talk to about this, either about the thing that happened or to receive forgiveness. Saying your confession to another person is part of the way God heals. Because in the name of Jesus, you can be forgiven. And we're going to have people after worship who would love to pray with you. And if you need to go get your kids, call one of the pastors and make a time. We'd love to pray with you. There are elders and deacons in our church for whom God has equipped and called them into this exact ministry. Uh, pr- anointing prayer. Inner healing prayer. I even have a brochure here. This is a journey. Perhaps there are some of you where something's being stirred up that's much bigger than, than you could imagine one encounter being. Inner healing prayer might be the way for you. Whatever it is, my encouragement to us as a church would be let's not let this artist out there hear people's confessions When we could not only hear the confession, but offer the forgiveness of Jesus, the very presence of God. So as we close in prayer, I invite you to say with me the prayer, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. We're going to say that three times together. Let's pray. Lord, hear our confession. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, you know our hearts. You know the broken places. You know how vulnerable and raw it feels to even think about confessing. And yet, our God, we know that you are far bigger than our fear, that you are far more powerful than than our fear that you are far more real than the one who would trick us into believing the lie lord thank you that you are a god who in the person of jesus forgives and restores and brings new life and god i pray that you would cause our church to be the kind of place where people experience forgiveness where people are willing to confess god make us a hospital for sinners that we may be healed through the power of the Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.